Well, welcome to the Situation Report for October 23rd, 2023. Displaying a little love shack there by the B-52s to start off. I had to get the uh, the mic working and had a bunch of things going on all at once, so I figured I'd uh, start with some music today. So anyway, it's been a uh, interesting weekend. My weekend blew up on Friday, which was uh, it was actually a very interesting day. Spent the day with other uh, execs in the in the healthcare tech industry talking about AI and their use of AI and how AI has been propagated and most most organizations don't even know it's out there and at the same time um, I spent Friday night and Saturday with a bunch of tech executives from both California and Arizona and I will tell you that everybody knows something's wrong everybody and even liberals I, I was surrounded by liberals on Friday, and it was very interesting at dinner how all of them were talking about the illegals in this country, what happened in Israel, and they're worried about it happening here. These are liberals. These are not conservatives. Let me say that again. And it was very, very interesting when they realized that there was there was three or four military guys i was i was sitting across from our, our keynote speaker which was a former top gun commander he's top gun graduate f-18 pilot next to him's navy seal and a guy that knew a lot of guys that i know and to almost to the person 150 people at this table almost to the person they all walked up to us and said you know is the military and ex-military going to stand up if things happen here and and that was Friday night. And it's it's interesting that they all see it coming and they don't know what to do. You know, and I said I just I, I said the same thing literally when they all they all came over, and that is you have to organize at the at the local level. You gotta know who's in your neighbor, who's not in your neighborhood. And you gotta you, you have to band together. And you're going to have to share resources and you should have some extra food and water on hand. And they all listen. I mean, these are CEOs. These are not these are not people that are the average citizen. These are CEOs that are completely unprepared. They have they have sailed along thinking that everything was going to be fine. The world is going to level out. We were just in one of those periods like we were when Carter was in office in 76. Things will be fine. They had, they had no concept that we were in such dire straits until Israel happened, and now they're all panicking. And the the other conversation that was um, prevalent during the entire thing was the, the uh, Speaker of the House. And I had a CEO from a very very large uh, healthcare company ask me my opinion. I said it's all delay. He's like, what? It's all delay. And everything they're doing is to escape accountability. And if you, like, I, I, somebody sent me this, this Gene Decode, um, SG Anon, God, I don't know how he watched it, but he sent it to me and said I should watch it. And here's what's interesting is that, you know, the Q crowd can spin it to make it look like the White Hats are doing something. I look at it from the opposite perspective. This is perfect cover, cover for the House to literally do nothing and watch the country implode and have plausible deniability because they're not passing anything. 
we're, we're rapidly approaching the debt ceiling conversation yet again, which is smoke and mirrors anyway, right? Everybody realizes it's smoke and mirrors. But these, the, the, it's perfect cover for them because they don't, they don't need to pass anything. They don't have to agree on anything. If they don't pick a speaker and the, and the economy implodes at the end of the month, then guess what? They can, they can plausibly deny, well, we couldn't agree on a speaker and we put Jim Jordan forward, et cetera, et cetera. It's perfect cover. And that's, that's how these people operate. They, they literally look for ways to escape responsibility. And they've, they've spent the last five years, especially with Pelosi in town, trying to um, delegate their authority to all the different agencies that have been weaponized so they don't have to be accountable for it. But the truth of the matter is the IRS, DHS, those are all funded and supported by the Congress. The Congress writes the check for it. And if they really wanted to do something about it, like McCarthy talked about, we're going to do all these things, they could have defunded the IRS, DHS, the FBI, and the rest. But they didn't do it. They passed they passed budgets and continuing resolutions to fund all these organizations that are weaponized against you. So this is perfect, perfect cover for them in the political space. That's that's literally what this is all about, is political cover. I don't buy this thing, this 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 conversation that there's white hats in the background that are, you know, disrupting and creating all these problems and the mega people are, that's all nonsense. It's all one party. They're all bought by somebody. They're all owned by somebody. It's a bunch of nonsense. And of course, like any other travel, I'm fighting a cold. I'm trying to trying to not fight a cold on the way, you know, coming back. But it looks like I'm probably going to get a cold because I'm I woke up this morning with a sore throat the whole nine yards. So it is what it is. Um, you know the other the other side of the fence too is we're watching this this march to war that nobody has any control over. I mean, now we're moving a third carrier battle group there. We've moved we've moved senior officers there to quote unquote liaise. We've got a marine amphibious unit off the coast of Israel. Folks, they're getting ready to either pull troops out of Syria and Iraq or to defend Syria and Iraq. I doubt there'll be any direct engagement in Israel. But once Israel kicks off the ground operation into Gaza, this will be a protracted mess for them. And our bases, both in Iraq and in Syria, will be attacked repeatedly, if not overrun. And that's the that's the, the ground situation. We're moving those carrier battle groups into place to support those operations, not to, not to support Israel. And to say that we're out over our skis is probably an understatement. We are literally seeing the development of a situation that we can't contain. And, you know, China is moving forward. So that's all posturing. China and Russia moving forces in. All that's posturing. It's just, it's posturing. What, what matters in all this conversation and the, the news and the, the, the dialogue is Israel lost the information war the moment that hospital got struck because no one, no one believes it was Hamas. Everyone believes that it was a, 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 an Israeli drone that fired either a JDAM or a Maverick missile. And it was an air, it was an airburst. 
That's why there was no crater. And it killed, you know, they say up to 500 people. There's really not a, a body count. So nobody really knows what the true number of people that were affected by that bomb are and how many were actually killed. And both sides are, both sides are doing their, uh, their propaganda full tilt. So I, I don't, like I said, I said this last week, I don't believe anything coming out of there. Not even the videos of them blowing up buildings. I don't, I don't buy any of it. If Ukraine has taught us anything, it's that 90% of what we're seeing is abject horseshit. The only thing I do know of is Abervesk is, uh, I think that's how it's pronounced, is almost surrounded by the Russian troops. And this is, this is the Russian army that I assumed was going to make a, ma a massive land grab once things started to fall apart there. And we have all but cut them off. We've diverted almost all of our resources now to support Israel. And that's, there's, it's only a matter of time before those logistics and that, that shortfall logistics catches up with the Ukrainians on the ground. Because we're talking about a thousand mile front. There's only so long they can hold out before they start running out of stuff. And then you're going to see some real interesting antics on the ground. Every, every single piece of, of information that's coming out of Israel is doctored in some way, shape or form. Almost all of it. So I don't believe it. And I, you know, I firmly believe that the Israelis are the ones that, that conducted the raid on the hospital. And I think both sides tried to leverage it. Because they literally came out almost like 20 minutes after it happened and said, yeah, we did it. It was a bomb. Then they said, no, we didn't do it. It was errant missile. I'm sorry, a 30-gram missile is not going to, It's a 30-gram warhead is not, it's not going to do that kind of damage. That was at least a 250-pound bomb. And maybe, a, you know, a Maverick. But it had a significant, and again, you're talking about the, the blast wave and the shock wave. Because the shock wave will kill you too. The blast wave, you know, it hits everything in the in the radius, but the shock wave hits everything out, you know, uh, in the in the initial blast zone and then in the shock radius, and you know, crush every bone in your body. I've been trust me, I've been close enough to two thousand pound bombs that it'll knock the wind out of you, you know, a half mile, three quarters of a mile away, if you're not paying attention. So I I don't believe for one second that that was an errant rocket. I also don't believe that, you know, 500 people were killed if they can't produce, you know, a coherent list of bodies and people that were affected. That's that's the other side of the coin. Either way, Israel lost the information war in the first week, and they're not getting it back. And the entire Arab world is united against them. And to be honest with you, I think that was the, the, the desired effect. I think they wanted... I think they wanted um, Israel not to be destroyed, but they wanted a wider war. And this would this is a perfect way to do it. Because that whole area is, is a tinderbox anyway when you start adding religion to the conversation. But the way the Israelis, their, their rhetoric has um, developed is it's just, it's reckless. Because they're lumping all of Palestinians in with Hamas that are in the Gaza Strip, and that's that's not the case. As I've said many times, and I'll continue to say, the people that are most affected are those without the resources. And it, the place is a, is a maximum security prison, so where the hell are people going to go? And, you know, it's like us saying we, we voted in the Republicans here in Arizona, or, or the 
you know, the Democrats here in Arizona. We didn't. And we've tried every form of legal recourse to throw them out. But every every part of our court system here and our judicial system, as well as our legal system, has been compromised. Hell, the Maricopa County Sheriff ran roughshod over the county to the MTEC. And they blatantly had heat maps on the wall of where a preponderance of the Republican voters were in Maricopa County. They knew exactly where to do the programmatic failures in the machines. And it was on the wall at the MTEC. There's literally no, there's literally no part of that that wasn't blatantly we're taking this, we're taking this election. And it's the same kind of a deal in Palestine. You know, in Gaza, they didn't they didn't vote in Hamas. Hamas basically took power and decided for them that we're going to start a wider war with Israel and then committed a bunch of atrocities. And I, I'm sorry, but Mossad knew. They not only knew they used it to their advantage, and now they're lumping everybody in the in the in the Palestinian community into Hamas, which is a bunch of BS. And frankly, folks, it's going to come back, and this will be the end of Israel. And it'll probably be a wider war, probably by this weekend. The way it's shaping up is we're moving enough forces into the area for a wider war. And I can tell you, this time in Iraq, we won't have the sustainment or the forces on the ground to be able to hold those areas. Especially when you talk about Hezbollah, who is basically sitting on a standing army. That's not going to go well for us, especially when we have these small fobs. And just so everybody understands how these fobs work, it's a forward operating base is what it is. So in in, in Iraq, we have an airfield, Syria, we have an airfield with forces and aircraft attached to it. And then we have forces that go outside the FOB to these oil oil refineries and oil areas to guard those. And it's a small force. It's maybe, you know, one or 2,000 people plus contractors. We're not talking about a lot of people here. You throw 10,000 troops at that in armor, guess what? Just a matter of time before they get overrun. So that's what the carrier battle groups are there. They're there to support our forces on the ground with air. And then we have a third carrier battle group that's moving to the area, probably to support the Israelis in northern in northern Israel and southern Lebanon, should Hezbollah push into, into Israel, which is probably likely at this point, given the, the operations on the ground that they've already started in northern northern Israel. So we should see a you know widening of this probably this weekend. The the pause on the ground that to me says not that they're they're stalling for time, but there's negotiations going on, and they're trying to probably move as many civilians out of there as they can before they start offensive operations. But look, we're talking about you know about 120 square miles. That's a lot of space for maneuver forces to be channelized into urban areas. And let me tell you, urban area, urban combat is, it's a quagmire because you're not just moving forward, you know, looking over trenches, moving behind tanks. You have people on top of buildings with people in windows with RPGs and 
you know, when every window in the, in, you know, rooftop in the neighborhood is, has got somebody on a gun or a RPG on it shooting at you, you're going to take casualties and clearing a building is not what you think it is. They shoot through floors, they shoot through walls. And usually you have to start at the top and have people on the top and the bottom and move towards the center. And there's still fratricide when that happens. We found that out the hard way at Fallujah when we were killing buildings, that or clearing buildings. And that's where we had all that press around Marines killing guys who were playing dead. I, I'd have done the same fucking thing. Guys playing dead on the floor, they're getting bullets. Because you never, you don't, you know, you walk past them, you think they're dead. They stand up, they shoot two of your, two of your buddies. Sorry, everybody gets a bullet on the way through. And that's what we were doing. That's what the, that's what the Israelis are going to have to do. Now, imagine that they're bayoneting and they're shooting, you know, women and children that are playing dead. How do you think that's going to go? Which is why they wanted to shut off the internet and every form of alternative media before they went in there. So when those things happen, they can cover it up and say it was just fratricide. That's how the game's played, folks. And that's what they're, that to me is what they're prepping for. They're setting conditions on the ground so they can move in there so there won't be any blowback. There's going to be blowback anyway, because most of the world has said, you do this, we stop the oil. You move in there, you start, you know, more. Yep. I knew there was, so the Clinton group working on a way to resettling Palestinians. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that was coming. That, That was, Nikki Haley said it a week ago. We need to resettle the Palestinians here and solve that problem forever. And that's exactly probably what they're doing. They're probably negotiating that right now. Probably got C-17s rolling in and out of that place or into Egypt. And they're they're rolling them out of the southern border and, and flying them right to the U.S. But whatever politics they have, whatever whatever belief system they have, they're bringing that shit here. So if you think that this this population is not violent, and they're going to come here and be nonviolent because they're going to have all these freedoms. Yeah, you're sorely mistaken. They're going to bring their culture. They're going to bring their their ideology and their religion here. If you go look at what you know, we've imported in all these communities where we brought in um, different cultures. When we brought them in in mass in all these communities, they basically set up little Somalia, you know, little Jordan, little Syria. And they continue with their way of, you know, their way of life. And most of them are still, you know, not working and sucking off the government. In fact, in Seattle, they brought in tons of Somalis and they're in certain areas in Seattle. And you know what they were doing the last time I was up there and saw them? They were flat on their ass at Starbucks doing jack shit. Married to white women that were on welfare and most of them weren't doing a goddamn thing. That's exactly what they're going to do when they come here. They're going to live off government's, you know, handouts until the government goes broke. And then they're going to be whining because the resources ran out. It's, it's by design. So they're going to get double screwed. And you think they're going to be any less unhappy when they get double screwed by the U S government and they're in the midst of a, an American community and people, number one, can't communicate with them. And number two, can't relate to them. And number three, and most importantly, don't trust them. How do you think that's going to go? 
So there's a lot of nuances to this that are going to go sideways very, very quickly. And here's the funny part. All these liberals I was talking to over the weekend, every single one of them said the same thing. They're all concerned with all these people we've imported. And I'm like, well, it's, you guys voted in Gavin Newsom, and they want to make him president. And he has absolutely no loyalty to anyone or anything on this planet. And now he's talking about seceding from the union and banding together with China under BRICS and creating its own, you know, the own, their own country of California. How do you think that's going to go? And look, I was sitting in Napa Valley, which is probably the second or third most affluent area in the entire country. These are all wineries and estates that are owned by tech, you know, tech oligarchs, for lack of a better word, that made their money by selling tech companies in the valley and bought vineyards. In fact, I went to one where the guy bought his winery, had it for two years, it burned down in a, in a fire, one of their fires, I think it was 21, 20 or 21, maybe it was 19, and he just got through rebuilding it and dug out you know, a big part of the hill that it sits on to put in a cellar so that he wouldn't be affected, his wine wouldn't be affected by the fire and he could store essentially two years worth of production underground just in case there was another wildfire. I mean, these people are not slouches. These people are very, very affluent and they're saying they're concerned. That should tell you that what you see in the press about the country and what these, these dipshits in DC are talking about, it's an echo chamber and they are completely disconnected from reality. It was, it was very, very clear to see. And, I, and I'm saying it this way so that people realize, no, it wasn't a bomb shelter. It was, it was a humidified and it was full of wine barrels. If it was a bomb shelter, that's a weekend in Vegas with hookers and blow right there. That's like, you know, wine and, and you know, hors d'oeuvres until you run out. And, you know, I'll tell you, a weekend in, a weekend in any wine country and you're going to be wined out. So it wasn't set up that way. It was literally long halls, hallways with barrels. So if, if the zombie apocalypse happens and I end up in that place, it's like 52 degrees in there and then it's dark. So, yeah, that's not really going to be someplace I want to hang out. I mean, the wine would be great. I'd just stick a straw into a barrel and call it good and have at it. But back to my point, everyone sees there's a problem. And what we're hearing out of D.C. is not resonating with anyone, even in California. And you're, you have a lot of very, very affluent people that are starting to get concerned. And it's because they don't they they've realized they don't have a seat at the table and they realize that who's driving this is china and they realize the close ties of all of the elite in the democratic party or at least left-leaning elite that are in in the valley in san jose in san francisco in that whole that whole area that are affluent <clears throat> that are aligned with china and people are just downright scared now and I hate to say it, but it's a good thing because it it was it's it's the wake up call that people need to to get their heads in the game and realize that what they were, you know, 
telling themselves was going to happen is not going to happen whatsoever. And look, we're looking at, we're looking at, you know, chaos for cause. We're looking for, you know, we're looking at all these different events that are going to happen in, in urban areas. And all of it is going to be scripted to create chaos, to drive people into, into a decision. And here's the overwhelming thing I heard all weekend long. One, they don't want to go to a cashless society. Two, they don't want to live under Chinese rule. They don't trust anybody in the press. They don't trust anybody in government. And they don't trust anybody in the establishment in California. That is a massive shift from where we were two years ago, especially in left-leaning circles. So we have, we have come full circle from the, from the cultural perspective. And I will tell you that every one of them were said we're thankful that we have military guys around us and know what they're looking at and you know all all three of us were you know and what and two of us were talking on the bus i was talking to the top gun guy on the way back by the way this guy this guy consulted um on top gun maverick and uh it was it was hysterical to listen to him because i asked him i go hey a buddy of mine that's still at pack fleet told me that tom cruise really schmoozed hard to try and get the admiral to let him fly a single seat f-18 he goes oh yeah 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 he goes you know he was he was very charming he he would send the admiral these gift baskets these gift cards these these um very extravagant gifts and he goes i knew when the admiral went off the reservation because he called me and he said hey tc wants to wants to fly an f-18 what do you think? And he said, well, sir, if he goes to Pensacola or Cor Corpus Christi and, and goes through primary jet training and then spends a, a year with the fleet to learn how to land on a carrier, then, sir, he can fly all his, he can fly a single seat all he wants. But until then, no, sir, he's not going to do that. <laughs> and I had to laugh because I go, you know why he called you, right? He goes, yeah, he called me so he could blame me for saying no because he didn't want to say no outright. I'm like, yep, I should tell you that he, you know, he had been completely enamored by the by the stardom but you know that should tell you a lot about the the situation at the top here's an admiral a four-star admiral that controls navy navy aviation not just on the east coast but all naval aviation and he couldn't say no to a movie star i can tell you how that conversation would have would have gone if it was me i can tell you that would have been like you want to do what you want to, dude, first, you're 60. Second, no fucking way. And third, are you retarded? Because only a toothless redneck retard would ask something that stupid, given the fact, the complexity of the aircraft. Just the avionics alone would take you three months to learn. Why don't you go back to doing what you do best, which is brushing your teeth and looking good for the camera and leave the, leave the work, the hard work to the people who actually do this for a living. What a moron. That should tell you what the, what kind of ego he's dealing with, man. So, I, I, that the, the whole weekend was um, it was enlightening, and the core of what I want to talk about today was a conversation about AI because it this plays into what you're seeing right now, and to give you some idea of how advanced AI is and where AI is at right now, we did an exercise. Um, on Friday, 
and again, I was with a bunch of uh, chief information security officers. So all of us, most CEOs wake up every day and say, how do I make my company stronger and how do I make more money? And most CISOs wake up and say, okay, how can I burn this motherfucker to the ground? And how would I do it if I was an adversary? And what do I need to look for today? What's the newest, what's the newest avenue of approach or indicator of compromise that they're going to use to burn my burn my environment down? And that's literally how we think, because we have to look at the enemy and we have to um we have to really start thinking through what the enemy is going to do to get into our environment. So we did some scenarios using ChatGPT and um, Google Bard and Microsoft's AI. I can't remember the name of it. And in three minutes, I put into my I put into um, Google Bard generate uh, generate a um, a Python script that will create a form based on the colors of the company that I work for. And it went out and scraped the, the colors that we use on the website. And it built a script with those colors that created a W-2 entry, re-entry form. So I could literally post this HTML page, go scrape LinkedIn, find everybody in my company with, with that email, and then it would automatically generate the email and ship the email off and point everybody to that HTML page to go re-enter their W-2 information in three minutes. I did all of that in three minutes. Normally, that would take somebody days to go scrape LinkedIn. They would have to generate a list of all those emails. They would have to build a send to list. They would have to make sure they didn't send all those emails at once to tip over any sensors at all of the email authorities. And then they would have to make sure they crafted and hosted the page in, in a URL that looked almost exactly like the company name that they're trying to spoof. And then they had to craft the email so it looked like internal communication. So they'd have to do some reconnaissance to figure out how the company communicated those kind of things and then simulate that and hopefully get some people. Hang on, my dogs are freaking out. So it's not a little, it's not a little trivial process. And ChatGPT or Bard did it in three minutes, and I was able to literally generate all that in three minutes and scrape LinkedIn. And it wrote perfect Python script, which is amazing. I, I was I was literally stunned. But that wasn't even the the worst part of the conversation. The worst part of the conversation was that one of the CEOs sat there and said, I have no idea how much AI is being used in my company. And think about that for a second, because what's happening right now is you have all these technical people that are jazzed and excited about AI, like ChatGPT, which is open source, Bard, which is run by Google, intelligence source, Microsoft AI, which is run by AI, intelligence source, that that AI is being trained by people that have no idea 
what the downstream impact of training that AI is going to be. And think about it this way. Think about we're training AI to all the things that people want to know and all may potentially insidious ways people want to use information. And we're training AI to do it for us right now with no guardrails around what information it can take in, what information it can store, what information it can give back. And literally, I did a simple search to say, generate a Google search that will show me somebody's social media email phone number by first name dot last name. And it crafted the search for me, put it into Google and found a bunch of people that I hadn't seen in years. Take that in for a second. The coolest technology in the world is being used right now with no guardrails. And think about how many programmers are using ChatGPT, BARD, and Microsoft AI to generate code for businesses that's sitting in AI, in the learning, the learning side of AI right now that they're using to code with in production code, because a lot of this code is going into production. So think about that for a second. Not only are you training the AI, but you're storing code because all of it's stored in the AI. Everything you everything you type into the window in ChatGPT and hit enter on, every bit of that goes into the learning aspect of AI and sits in a database. And it literally sits there and it it stores all those queries, it stores all that information, it stores all that output, and it's it's learning from all of that. So when you build the engine, you're building the engine, and then somebody has to enter data and, and things to train it to do what it's what it's supposed to do so it can do e-learning. In the medical field, they're using it for reading scans, they're using it for reading blood results. What if the what if the AI has been reprogrammed to look at blood results and say, you need this much saline, you need this much so sodium, you need this, this much of this drug, and somebody's tilted the balance so you're killing people with drugs that are being generated by ai learning and it doesn't know the difference all it knows is what's been what's been put in the learning and what it's been spitting out and if it's been reinforced over and over and over again guess what it's going to keep spinning that out that's the dangerous part of this you have you have no guardrails around what people are putting in you have no guardrails around what's being spit out and at some point we're going to have to go reconcile that. Anytime you build a database, anytime you build any kind of data store, you're, you're worried about three things. You're worried about data cleanliness, data integrity, and data obsolescence. Because you want the data to be clean so that if you, like for years we were talking about big data, big data. The reason why they're talking about big data is if you feed big data with results, into AI as its initial learning. You give it this massive store of information to go chew on and figure out X plus Y equals Z. Then you've just given it the keys to the kingdom for whatever whatever um, data store that you want it to analyze. And in the case of healthcare, that can be massively detrimental, especially if you've given it data that's skewed one way or another, because it only sees what's in there. It doesn't see, um, you know, the nuance of the individual, how they react to specific drugs. It just sees X plus Y equals Z. And 
anytime you build a big data store, you have people that sit there, database administrators, that they make sure they clean the data, they make sure that the, the data integrity is good, they make sure that the, the, the database structure is good and that, that it's clean and that they have, you know, it's efficient and that it's, it's, it's uh, the transactions can be processed quickly. There's a lot of work that goes into it. It's not a little thing. And now we're trusting all that work to AI. And we're, we're teaching AI how to, how to manage data stores, how to manage big data, how to interpret big data. When you start looking at it from that perspective, you're starting to see a trend building. And that trend is we're doing it without really giving thought to what we want on the other side. And God forbid if AI becomes sentient, then we're really fucked. And that was the bulk of the conversation. And the thing that opened my eyes the most was not the fact that CEOs didn't know what AI was being used. We had people that were vice presidents of infrastructure and development in the room that had no idea if their developers were using um, AI. And literally, the guy that was sitting next to me was real-time looking at, he had flagged IP addresses for ChatGPT and for BARD so he could see if there was any traffic going from his environment to those IPs and then he'd get alerted on it. That's what security guys do, right? We build guardrails and we, we alert on things we know are potential threats. Like he can't turn it off, but now they're starting to write acceptable use for AI and acceptable interaction with AI. And that's a red herring too. And some, some of my counterparts just said no to AI and they blocked those IP address. Normally, when you build an environment and production environment, especially in the cloud, you geo isolate, you know, the Middle East, you geo isolate the, the, you know, the Eastern Bloc, only the countries you're doing business with. You definitively block China in every way, shape and fucking form you can because they're all about stealing data. So you have this very small subset of places that you interact with. So you're somewhat safe from a geo geolocation, but you worry about them bouncing into the US through Amazon or Microsoft Azure and then bouncing into your environment because the only IP you see coming in is the the Microsoft or the AWS IP, but they could be they could be in, in Iran for all you know. And then there's the opposite side of that. They could be coming in internal in the US, spoofing their IP and, and showing you that they are from Iran. So there's you have both sides of the fence, right? Where I'm going with this is that we set up environments with very specific guardrails for a reason. And that's so users on the other end, especially people that are non-technical, don't do stupid things. Just like when you put a, you know, an 18-year-old on an M16 range, you put very specific guardrails around them. And there are none of those with AI. And AI is being put into every facet of our life that you can think of. From, from traffic management to logistics to healthcare to everything you can think of, even streaming services. And talk about a one-to-one -one streaming service. If AI is watching what you watch and it's learning from what you watch, the only thing you're going to see are things that you're interested in. You won't see anything else. And it's all AI-driven. And that's not even the AI that's creating a lot of the deep fakes and a lot of the 
the fake videos and a lot of the, 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 the spoofs that you're seeing right now from a CGI perspective, I'm not even talking about that. And you have all of that going on all at the same time with zero oversight, zero guardrails. And this is the AI that we see. This is not the AI that we don't see. And that is significant because the AI we don't see is doing things that we probably don't realize it's doing. And if it's controlling the valves and the plants that control our water, the, the chemicals that are introduced into our water, the food and food production capabilities of a plant, the conveyor belts, you can start doing the math there on how dangerous this can be very, very quickly if this thing goes rogue or sideways. And you can see that without strong guardrails, that it can be used for a lot of detrimental purposes with just a few keystrokes. There is, there is a, there's a huge amount of information that we're not even paying attention to. All that's going on right now. And how this applies in, in the, the war is if we have fully autonomous robotic plants that are being controlled and used for AI, like what's one of the most dangerous things we produce? Explosives artillery it's one of the most dangerous things that we produce imagine that you have ai that's running a portion of the plant mixing those chemicals you have ai that's that's putting those chemicals together into warheads molding crafting etc and if you're you're out of tolerance by a specific amount it can go and explode just in transport or it can explode in the plant, or it can explode the moment you put it into the breach of a weapon. Are you starting to see the bigger picture of why this is so dangerous now? Because we don't know what's been trusted to AI. We have no idea how much of our lives that we touch right now has been touched by AI because nobody's paying attention to it. And I guarantee you that there's AI in almost every business. I've spent the last three months talking to AI companies that are already doing things in the healthcare business, that are already FDA approved to do things in the healthcare business. Read mammograms, read CT scans, read MRIs, read blood results, read um, chemical analysis, do chemical analysis on blood. The AI is doing all of that work right now. And you none of you probably even knew that. And it's been going on for a while. So like I said, this is why I talk about, imagine the coolest technology in the world and your arch enemy has already infected it or has it, and they're using it against you. Every single thing we see could be touched by AI right now. We wouldn't know it. And no saying, I don't think AI is sophisticated enough yet to start World War III. And I don't think AI has enough access yet to start World War III. What I do know is, I talked to tech guys this weekend that were all jazzed about AI. One of them was a Cisco guy that insufferably stupid, talking about how AI is going to solve the climate crisis. And the, he was talking about, and that was the other part of the conversation that drove me nuts, was on Friday night, Thursday night, I can't remember which night it was when I got there, they were all sitting around drinking wine, talking about who got their booster first. Like, you people are fucking retarded. But 
I didn't say anything because it's not worth starting an argument there. Because if they're that stupid to where they're they're boasting about the, how many shots they got, I'm like, you better get your affairs in order. But that was the conversation on Friday. On, on you know, the first night I was there, and the second night I was there was the conversation that people had realized that something was seriously wrong. So it, it's. It shows you, though, that there's still part of the population that believes in the narrative and there's part of the population that's questioning the narrative and then there's a part of the population that doesn't trust the narrative at all. But part of our narrative and part of the information cycle that we see is completely controlled by AI, at least heavily influenced by AI, which is why I don't trust anything I see out of the mainstream or in alternative media, especially fucking TikTok. I don't believe anything in TikTok. That stupidity wrapped in wrapped in idiocy, laced with completely retarded. I, I most of it is just nonsense. So where I'm where I'm going with this is the reason why I say start with the premise that everything is BS and work your way back is because of the amount of AI that I've I've seen over the years. And some of this technology has been around for years and years and years in different formats, and it wasn't called AI. It was called machine learning. It was called, it was called um, machine processing. There was a lot of names for it, but there was logic around it, and th that logic is what makes it AI. And the logic that you're seeing right now has been enhanced over the years. It's not, it's not super new technology. It was created yesterday. This is technology that Google, Microsoft, Apple, and a number of other companies have been working on for a very, very long time. And they started with self-driving cars. That's where a lot of this AI logic started, was self-driving cars. And those have been around for at least 10 years. So this is not new technology. And that's why I don't trust technology, especially technologists that are drinking the Kool-Aid, because they're completely oblivious to, to the second and third order effects of what they're doing. They're just wrapped up in the hype of, I'm doing this cool thing, and it's new, and it's improved. And it's going to change humanity. Yeah, it could change humanity and it could make things very, very bad or mostly bad. Either way, you have to look at it from the good and the bad. And what happens if somebody with nefarious intent gets a hold of this technology? Then it becomes a very, very dangerous thing to have. And we're seeing people... Um, potentially coming off the rails as soon as things kick off on the ground. Imagine what AI is going to do with that and how the new cycle is going to change with that and the information cycle is going to change. So the big picture here is AI is here. It's going to be here now. And don't trust whatever you see because it can be meticulously and seamlessly put in front of you as if it's real and it's completely fake. And it's all AI generated. So we're seeing a bunch of it right now. And we saw some, we saw, you know, we saw a bunch of it in Ukraine initially when they kicked off and they were talking about all these towns that were hit by Russian bombs, which was completely fake. And it was all CGI driven by AI to make you think that these towns were destroyed by Russian bombs when really they were they were perfectly fine. We're gonna see the same thing, and we probably are seeing the same thing right now in Gaza and in Israel. Because look, let's when when Hamas fires missiles, they fire in volleys of 40, 50, or 100. 
and they're only they're only very small warheads. They do a minimal amount of damage, and it's not directed fire. Directed fire does a lot of damage because it's all hitting in the same impact zone. And when you fire, you know, artillery rounds, you're firing six to eight to twelve rounds into a very concentrated area. It does a lot of damage. Volley rocket fire is just like hip firing a mortar. What I mean by hip firing a mortar is there's a base plate on the mortar. Then you have the bipod and you stick the tube in the base plate. You, you do what's called leveling the bubble. You level the tube and then you set it to a certain azimuth and you, you, you hang rounds and drop rounds into it. When you, when you hip shoot, it means you just drop the ball on the ground and you hang rounds. It's not directed fire. Sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you don't. But for the most part, it's it's not directed fire. And a, a volley of missiles that are unguided is just volley fire. It's like firing a musket at a city. And that's that's not as effective as directed fire. When you start talking about, you know, uh, guided missiles, GPS-guided missiles, GPS-guided rounds, those are hidden pinpoint where they're supposed to go. And all of that is been wrapped up in a nice bundle and the public's been sold that Hamas is, is blowing all these things up when really it's probably fratricide from Israel. Because the only people in this fight right now with directed, you know, directed fire is Israel. And they can't, um, they can't hide from the fact that a precision munition is going to hit something. But guarantee you they will come up with some way through AI to say it was Hamas. So, like I said, assume, from the, assume the premise, start with the premise that it's BS and then work your way back towards the truth. And, you know, like I said on, on Wednesday of last week, it doesn't matter who fired the shot that hit the, the hospital parking lot. It's who get blamed for it. And Israel got blamed for it. And it full stopped all their operations because they knew that if they pressed on in the way that they were, they were moving, that they would have, they would have united the entire Arab world and they would be surrounded. And I do mean they would be surrounded because you have Iranians, you have Iraqis, you have Syrians, you have Jordanians, all marching towards the border of Israel to march on the country. And if you have people descending on your country and you're fighting in two urban areas and then you have a bulk of your army in the north, guess what? You don't have forces to go repel 70 million people. They'll just walk right over your defenses. And that's what they're deathly afraid of. And that's how I see the, the, the uh, situation developing if they're stupid enough to press into Gaza and continue the information war the way they've conducted it so far. It will be detrimental to them and to us because the world doesn't just hate Israel right now. They hate us. So that means somebody here is going to go off the reservation and do something stupid, and we're going to have our hands full with terrorists here not to mention the 15 plus million that we've already imported. So you can do the math on this and see how, how deadly this can be very, very quickly, which is why we, we have been saying, be situationally aware, question everything, and look around your surroundings. Know who is around you. You can tell if somebody doesn't belong there and if they're do, doing something sketchy. You can tell. And if your gut tells you something's wrong, something's fucking wrong. It's very simple. Your gut instinct is spirit telling you something's fucked up. And if you don't listen to it these days, you may not survive it. 
because that day is coming and it's coming quickly. And I never thought I would have this conversation or even talk about this. And I've had it all, I had it all weekend. And even the military guys I was with. In fact, during the keynote speak, speech, the speaker said, the fight's coming here. And we're days away. I'm like, wow, there's an echo in here. And I said to him afterwards, I've been saying that for a month. All of us say the same thing. Michael Yon says the same thing. Matt Bracken says the same thing. Pete Chambers says the same thing. We're not making it to 24. This shit's going to be resolved this year. And I said that back in 22. And nobody, everybody thought I was nuts. I'm like, we are never making it to 24 with this, this kind of shit going on. And the bigger, the bigger thing that people are starting to realize is that the federal government is so corrupt and so owned by China that they they don't know what to do. And I and I literally said in a conversation that it was Friday, Friday night. Um some one of the CEOs asked me, how do we try to remember how he asked me? He asked me, how do we take back our country? And I said, this is very simple. The federal government and every institution in Washington has been weaponized by communists. The, the establishment in Washington, D.C. is full of communists that were placed there, promoted, and put in key positions by Obama and his team. And the very, very tippy top of the Washington establishment are all malice. The only way that you can do this without firing a shot is the entire fucking country has to go full fucking stop. So where we marginalize them and we strip them of their power. If no one in the states listens to the federal government, then they have no power. And if they're marginalized and shoved to the side, the states have the power. But that means states like Oregon, Washington, and now Arizona, they're going to have to take their states back at gunpoint because it's been it's been co-opted by communists and big money on the East Coast. And the establishment in each one of these states, which is right here in Silicon Valley, all of them have to be taken out. Are you willing to do it? Are you? And they're all looking at me. Well, that's what you guys are for. I'm, I'm not a fucking hired killer. I'm not your I'm not your garbage man. I'm not coming in to clean up the fucking mess that you people created. And I'm looking at them all. Every one of you have lived here your whole lives. You've run companies here your whole lives. You're all CEOs here. Every fucking one of you has to take responsibility for the decisions you made that allowed this to happen. Not one of you is exonerated or has an excuse for why this is happening right now. Because every one of you went along with the politics. Remember the whole fucking Ukraine flags? How many of you bastards had that on your, your LinkedIn profile or somewhere in your fucking corporate logo? All over, painted all over your logo feces for the last year and a half, two years. I want to show a hands. And a couple of raise their hand. I go, that's why you guys have to stand up and pick up a fucking rifle and take the fight to the enemy. Because you guys are the ones that created this shit. I'm going to protect my neighborhood, my family, and my community. And then I'm going to take the fight outside of my community once we have enough combat power to do that. But I'm not going to do that on your behalf because you can't. You don't want to lift a finger. You can kiss my ass on that. And I said, am I going to fight? I'm absolutely going to fucking fight, but so are you. 
And guess what? You're not going to get a choice. You can't bury your head in the sand. You can't hide. And I said, here's the here's the worst part for all of you. We're in the 11th hour, and you're just now starting to figure out you need to have some resources on hand. How many of you have resources on hand? None of them raise their hand. And I, hate, I said, I hate to say it, but most of you are fucked right now because you don't know how to do anything. You don't know how to clean water. You don't know how to make food. You don't know how to pull gas out of a tank that's in the ground. You don't know how to do shit. And every single one of you is going to want somebody else to do it. And guess what? The people that know how to do it, the builders, the people that you've hired and worked with and used for the last 20 or 30 years of your career, guess what? Those are the people that are going to be around to survive this. So you better start making nice with those people right now. They were all fucking stunned. In fact, one of the CEOs is like, nobody's ever talked to these guys like that. I'm glad you did. And, you know, I, I, I part of it is I had enough wine to where I just give, didn't give a fuck. But when you get to the point where you realize that there's a bulk of America that wants somebody else to do it, you start to get frustrated. And then you get really frustrated because you see that people that you cared about that were killed in combat. And I lost some damn good people in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I can tell you that you want some payback. But the worst part of it is Americans that see that, that lived through that, that profited from that, that have no idea how to do anything for themselves. And they expect that the military is going to step in and save them. I, you know, and I, and I said, the thing that I ended with is I'm not saying this because I'm not going to fight. I'm saying fight is going to be everywhere at once. And we're going to have to pull our, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, mount a defense, figure out what resources we have, and then take the fight to the enemy. And you people are acting like they're going to move in here in some kind of organized fashion. Did any of you watch what happened on the ground when Hamas went outside the wire? It was wholesale violence and chaos. And they killed some of the most the most well-trained um, Israeli forces in the country in minutes. How the fuck do you think this is going to go? This is why I'm saying you have to be squared away. And you have to be ready for any contingency right now because that's how it's going to develop. Everywhere at once. And look, you have to respect the fact that our enemies have been training for generations for this fight that's right ahead of us right now. You can't assume that they're going to be a bunch of dumb Arabs that come over here and just walk down the street shoot, indiscriminately shooting people. They're going to set up checkpoints. They're going to set up strong points. They're going to have weapons caches around. They're going to have, they're going to have supply points set up. They're going to have specific missions and specific targets to go after. That's how this is going to develop. It's not going to be the military coming into your town and occupying your town to keep you safe. It's going to be you and your neighbors and whoever the fuck else is still alive when this goes off. So you better start getting your shit together and get a hold of the shit fairy and have some stuff delivered. Otherwise, you're going to starve to death. And, you know, you're talking about a crowd of people whose kids are all over the planet right now, traveling, going to school in different states. They were all absolutely speechless. None of them knew what the fuck to say because nobody's ever talked to them with in, in bare bone terms about this is how this is going to happen. They've all been watching the news and the news is telling them everything's going to be fine. The police will step in, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, 
And one of them said, well, the police will be here. I'm like, uh-huh. For how long? There's one There's one cop for every 1,000 people. How do you think that's going to go when you have 15 million people in this country that don't belong here? Do some math. It's basic fucking math. It's not hard. One plus zero is zero. Or zero plus zero is zero. One plus zero is one. And he's got no backup. It's just one dude. And if there's 50 of them, he doesn't have enough bullets. He definitely doesn't have enough enough places to hide. The point I'm trying to make, folks, is that people are awake. They don't know what to do, which is why if you if you hear me say anything today, it's be prepared. And look, you're farther ahead than most people out that are out there if you're listening to me, because it means you've been either, A, putting up with my bullshit for the last year or two years, and, and B, you've been actually doing something. The point is, a lot of people are going to get caught with their pants down, just like we did in World War II, just like we did in World War One. That's how it goes. And everybody wants to try and preempt this. There's no way to preempt this. All we can do is out their plans and get more people awake and aware. That's all we can do. And be prepared. As much as you want to you know, go run down all the Chinese. You don't know if they're friend or foe. And that's not who we are anyway. We're not going to go hunt down people based on a profile. There's a reason why we don't profile people. And is that is that prudent at this point? No. Is it prudent for us to be in the Middle East? No. It is what it is. There's, there's what we want things to be, and there's the what so. The what so is we're going to have to react just like, just like they did in Israel, and we're going to have to come together as a country and fight back. And that means a lot of good people are going to get killed, and that's the way it is. So be it. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about making sure enough people are prepared when that moment hits, and they, they have their head on straight, and they accept the situation and start to do things. Because that's what's going to save this country. If you look back at the beaches of Normandy, it wasn't officers saying, follow me. It was NCOs. It was it was privates pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, getting organized and pushing forward. That's what got us off the beach in Normandy. That's what carried the fight through. It wasn't it wasn't generals out front saying, follow me. There was only one general anyway that that did that. The point is, we came together and we pulled forward and we pushed it. We pushed through. We'll have to do the same thing here. That's how it goes. And at some point, we'll hit that, that moment where we we inflict damage on the enemy that's critical and we don't realize it. It's coming. And we're not that far away. The, the situation's going to develop rapidly over the next week, especially once we get forces in place. Israel's not going to pull back. It's going to inflame the entire Arab world. And I, to me, it's all it's all by design. I think this was all cooked up by Iran. I think this was all cooked up by DC. I think it was cooked up by the CIA and Mossad. I think they're all in on it. And I think it's so they can start a wider war because they know the financial piece of this is coming. Remember, all roads lead back to finances and resources. All roads. And you can't tell me that this wasn't architected for that very reason. At least that's how I see it. Call me crazy. And let me read through the comments here because I haven't really been paying attention. Sorry. 
Yeah, that's true. We are the we are the only uh, the only species, and uh, that has a sense of danger. And we still allow ourselves to get in the worst areas. That plays out in movies, right? Well, I heard a strange sound downstairs. So let me just go downstairs to the creepy basement without a flashlight. What could possibly go wrong? I don't see any questions. You guys are actually you guys are actually conversing amongst yourselves. I don't know what you need me for. Wow. Nicely done. Look, <clears throat> I'll end today with this. Don't get wrapped up in despair. Don't get wrapped up in, in fear. Don't get wrapped up in, in what's going to happen to our country. We're going to survive. We're going to be a better country. We're definitely going to be a hell of a lot lighter when this is over with. We're definitely going to be a lot thinner as a country. But we're going to come out of this stronger. And the thing to remember is what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And accepting the situation you're in is the first step towards surviving it. Keep that. Keep those words to live by. And the other words to live by are check your ego at the door and work together, because you're going to need each other. Especially, you know, there's people that are still feel isolated. You're not isolated. There's a lot of people around you you probably don't even realize are in the same boat you are. They just don't know how to find people. A lot of that will clear up on day one. You'll find people that are that are armed, people that are organized. You'll come together. That's how this all works usually. I'm not, I'm not stressing about that. And I have faith in the American people. I know people don't, but I do. Because the one thing I saw this weekend that was legitimate was all of these people, no matter what their political affiliation, love this country. And they love our way of life. And they do not want it to change. So don't give up hope. Just get prepared, be situationally aware, know who's around you, know what they're doing, and trust your gut instincts. God bless everyone. Have a good day, and I'll, I'll be back Wednesday at uh, 5 p.m. Wednesday, Pacific Daylight Time. You can find me on Rumble. You can find me on Apple Podcasts. Just do a search for my name on Apple Podcasts, on Samsung, on, on Spotify, and you'll find me. My episodes will show up. If you subscribe to me, you'll see my episodes as they show up. I've got an interview with, I'm going to do two interviews with Sharita Starr this, this week to do um, conversation about um, numerology and how that all works because I don't get it. And then I'm going to do an um, interview with uh, Matt Bracken if I can pin him down this week. And I still have another interview with Michael Yawn to do. We've been trading texts all weekend. So lots lots ahead. And as the situation develops, if things are going crazy, I'll, I'll probably do another sit rep as things are going crazy. But you can find me in a lot of different places. And, and you can uh, always message me or my admins on Telegram and in the Telegram channel. It always gets to me. So if you got questions between now and then, feel free to throw them into Telegram or throw them in the comments sections of the Rumble videos. I usually respond to, to most of them. God bless everyone. One team, one fight.